0: Today we have Ryan Bazden, who's an ethical hacker and a penetration tester. He's a security researcher. He's a practice leader for Renegade Labs at RISC-360. He is the project leader for Kraken, which is a password cracking uh, utility open source available on GitHub. A lot of certifications. He's an OSCP, GWAP, CISA, CEH, and you've been a speaker on the security circuit at. Besides Atlanta, Kennesaw State University, and Georgetown University, where you talked about open source intelligence gathering, uh, and today we're going to talk about the decentralized internet. So, Ryan, maybe just to start off, like we have centralization and decentralization when it comes to technology. Like, can you talk about like the current state today of centralization and, and what's wrong with that? Why are you concerned with that?
1: Sure. So. It's important to note that um, basically everybody's concept of what the Internet is now is centralized. So when people think of the Internet, most of the time they're thinking of the sites they interact with. So for a lot of people that's Facebook, Twitter, Google, and a whole suite of Google products maybe, Apple products. It's generally 10 to 15 primary services that are all hosted and run by a few companies, Amazon, Uh, you know, the list goes on. So with these services all centralized in one place, i.e. run by one single company, all of the data that you are giving to those services, the way people use those services, is all being housed in one location and therefore is controlled by a single entity or a small group of entities. Um, So that's the way that people interact with the internet now. Not everybody, but most people, most Casual users of the internet are using some kind of centralized service for just about every activity. That's not the way the internet was originally intended to be, if you look at old schematics from Tim Berners Lee's notebooks, but that's what it's become.
0: So, yeah, so I mean, I think like uh, everyone's on AWS or Azure or Google Cloud Platform, or everyone's on Facebook or Twitter, um, you know, social media cloud platforms. Why is that a problem? we've had lots of conversations where you've expressed to me that decentralization is the future and centralization presents some unique risks. Like, why, why do you care? Why do we care that we're all
1: centralized? What are some of the risks associated with that? Well, so there's the surface level stuff, right? Um, lately, for a variety of reasons, centralized services have really been frustrating people um, of all different kinds for different reasons, um, different use cases. We don't need to jump into those but that's the surface level concern. People are getting frustrated with the consequences of centralized services and centralized platforms without realizing those consequences really existed to experience. Um, On a deeper level, um, if you get into some of the more ethical concerns and the concerns around how technology um, shapes our lives and shapes the way we can do or say the things we want to do and say, what's really happening with centralized services is uh, we as people and as people simultaneously our thoughts our desires um, are being funneled into a product model that's morally ambiguous so we're being fed reasons to use these platforms we're told that uh, this platform will make your life easier make you more productive or connect you with people but it's unclear if that's the actual agenda that is behind its design. So by accumulating people, and again, all of those things I associated with people like their thoughts and desires in mass into single locations, the commodity um, that it creates allows us or forces us really to be in submission to technological overreach, uh, consequences we didn't originally agree to. Um, It affects us in ways in the future that was not part of the deal at first, and so people are getting frustrated with that and they're trying to move away from it, but the the options are uh, many and sometimes hard to understand.
0: What are some examples? Like I know recently, for example, uh, in politics, Parler was taken down by mm-hmm. AWS. So that was a social media site that I think was right wing uh, taken down. And whether you agree or disagree with that, it was a big deal that a cloud service provider could take down, um, any social media website right you know aws had that power to do that right. you also have um like facebook or google and others that serve customized ads so you you use the product for free but they might monetize it by serving you ads or you know during the election there was the thing about um serving you uh, fake news mm-hmm. or like content that was uh targeted to make you think a certain thing and even if that wasn't a real article so those are some concerns um, so you mentioned like morally ambiguous. Are, are there other examples like that come to mind when you think of, hey, look, this is the centralized platform and this is why we should be concerned about it?
1: Yeah, I think that um, I I think Facebook, <laughs> you know, not, to, not that Facebook doesn't have enough people picking on it right now, but it, it's sort of the poster child for this, right? Facebook is... Maybe the primary way people interact with the internet. it's It's one of the first things they open on their phones when they take their phone out. It's one of the first websites they browse to, you know for for those people who still use a computer. Um, and whatever's there is there. And the question of whether or not Facebook is responsible for what is on there, from a credibility perspective, from a um, an opinion based perspective, is it is it being fair to both sides of an opinion on any issue? Is, is the content vetted? If so, who should be vetting it? If not, should it be vetted at all? Um, regardless of the answers to those questions, the the decisions or indecisions are affecting the way people think and ultimately the way people see the world.
0: Yeah, I know we had a bunch of clients that asked when Parler was taken down off AWS, uh, You know, the natural question was, should we be multi-cloud? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm not worried about AWS taking me down, but you know, this brings up an interesting point. All of my eggs are in one basket. If they go away, does my company go away or do I need to be multi-tenant? Do I need to be in GCP and Azure as well? And maybe some on-prem stuff. So there's been this pendulum swing to centralization, social media, uh, money, the monetary system, which we'll get into, (laughs) um, cloud service providers, the the way we operate as a society, largely central, centralized banks, centralized social media, centralized internet service providers, centralized cloud. Uh, The pendulum's way over there. And I think what I've heard you and others talk about is maybe a more moderate stance is a healthy dose of decentralization. Um, So can you talk about that? What is decentralization when it comes to the internet?
1: Yeah. So decentralization takes on a few different forms. Uh, There are schools of thought around each of them. The, the first and most obvious form of decentralization is what's called federation and all federation means is that there is a service or platform or, or site, whatever it is, dig, digital commodity that you can take control of if you so choose to. So it, it, analogous to Facebook, say there was a platform that was like Facebook but it was federated, you could stand up your own server and you could have people join it, you could use it yourself, and people could post photos, they could post little status messages, they could share articles, they could do whatever they wanted using this platform, but because you control the server, you don't run the risk of, at least from a server hosting perspective, being shut down if you are saying or doing something that a third-party entity that would control a centralized service would not want you to do or say.
0: So I think one of those examples is like, I think there's Mastodon. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty popular uh, decentralized server. So if you wanted to have uh, Ryan based in Universe and I wanted to have Christian Hyatt Universe, we could each stand up our own semi-private social media site. And then if we chose to, we could federate between the two of us and, and allow our users to communicate, for example. Exactly. So that's that's pretty popular. Exactly. So there's there's social media. What what else? What are other use cases? I know the blockchain, for example, and, and <laughs> cryptocurrency is like an example of uh, decentralization and being used to do like incentivize, incentivize
1: P2P networks. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I, I won't dive too much into blockchain tech, uh, one for fear of um, misspeaking, two for fear of somebody who knows a whole lot better than me uh, correcting me after the fact. But in essence, the the idea of having a blockchain is having a shared ledger that maintains the records for financial transactions it could very easily be simple entries into something that needs to be tracked and, and this this can be extended into all kinds of things so one of the the biggest ways we've seen that done is with Bitcoin cryptocurrency um, and there are other cryptocurrencies that are built on blockchains and there are nuances to those but again I don't <laughs> I'm not an expert in all of those but what that created when when Bitcoin was created and it was built on blockchain technology. What happened is that suddenly there was no bank in the middle that was monitoring the transactions between this person who had Bitcoin and this person who had Bitcoin. They could exchange monetary value for services or goods and there was no middle point. So banks, clearing houses, credit card companies, they were all out of the equation. So this brought on the possibility of privacy. People could spend money with each other or with perhaps vendors that were willing to take Bitcoin, and they didn't have to worry about someone sitting in the middle and taking that transaction and putting it towards an ad profile, for example, or tracking it in any other way that would be either exploitative or malicious.
0: Yeah, one of the things that interests me, that I think could be revolutionary, is we have this pendulum swing to uh, the cloud service provider as your infrastructure to host a SaaS platform, let's say. And um, I've heard or had some clients ask about, what about using these distributed cloud providers that are kind of blockchain based, which essentially um, they create peer-to-peer networks. So every uh, everyone with a laptop or a computer could share and be part of the, the data center or part of that cloud infrastructure. And uh, you know, they could perhaps earn some cryptocurrency while doing that but at least leverage the the blockchain to create a ledger of the data and you know make it make that data uh private and secure and reassembled um so if um, if i'm hosting all of my data on a blockchain based uh, p2p cloud environment it's theoretically secure because it exists spread out across a large blockchain and can only be reassembled in a secure manner Mm. i think that's interesting because that's there's a lot of questions about how resilient are those solutions, um, how mm-hmm. highly available are they? So the, are they going to make snappy SaaS products, or are they going <laughs> to the performance going to be terrible? We don't know. Um, also, what are the security considerations uh, when it comes to to those types of products? When, when you hear if we're if clients or, or folks are asking us, hey, what do you think about these uh, distributed cloud service providers? Can you talk maybe a little bit about look what are some of the risks? Uh, associated with that in today's climate?
1: Um, I think right now, it, the first thing I think of is that it's all just so new. I mean, how, how long ago was it that we were still operating in the data center mentality? Right, A web server, a website is built on a server that sits in a huge warehouse next to other servers and there are techs walking around making sure that the servers aren't blowing up and there's redundancy and all that stuff. Um, and also it's 200 feet underground, right? Then AWS came along and Azure came along, these these cloud, cloud services um, that still use that infrastructure but started to change things. And um, what we've seen commonly is the way people use AWS typically falls into one of two categories either they fully embrace the idea of cloud infrastructure and they start using aws services like lambda or cloud formation to totally revamp the way they do infrastructure or they just migrate all of their old infrastructure out of the data center and into aws and it's just the same thing with an amazon wrapper um i think that the move to decentralized storage and decentralized infrastructure like that will be similar. I think that it, it will present such a different dynamic that, um, it will, it will change the way people have to think about computing and it'll change the way people have to think about the way they deploy infrastructure. It's not going to be good enough to just say, well, I want to run my servers here. And maybe that will be possible, but that sort of, it, it pushes away the original intent.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think of things like the talent shortage, just like with cloud, right? It's like, mm-hmm. a, is there enough? Is there a critical mass of individuals who understand how to leverage this technology? Um, the other thing that concerns me is like a lot of these kind of P2P cloud-based, um, I guess, uh, distributed cloud-based organizations are doing a lot of uh, their own one-off cryptocurrencies, which mm-hmm. have been notorious for like pump and dump schemes or... Uh, you know or, or they go under completely <laughs> so there's some questions this is this technology around to stay or is there some unique risk in terms of this business losing credibility in the marketplace and, and totally going under so so that kind of stuff I find worrisome there's also like the regulatory perspective like I think about things like GDPR or ISO 27001 Take GDPR that says uh, you know, sometimes there's data localization requirements. So my data has to be housed in the EU, for example. Well, if I'm on a um, distributed blockchain and some of that um, data from the peer-to-peer network is also in the US, or or maybe I have no idea where it is. Mm -hmm. Can these kind of archaic regulations adapt themselves to be reinterpreted using new technology? And there's always a little bit of a learning curve there. So there's probably some legal and regulatory risk that I think of. But I also think there's huge opportunity in terms of like individual privacy, which is something that I know you're big on. So, how, are you using de- decentralized stuff today? Like, what do you think the the impact is or the use cases for you know the common person that wants a little bit more privacy in their life?
1: Sure. So, um, to to address your first question, I think that as far as so you mentioned GDPR. Um, I think that regulations can adapt, but I don't, I don't think that's the pertinent question. I think the question is if they have to, and I think the answer is absolutely yes. This, this is the way technology is going, and um, we've, we've seen how slowly existing standards that you and I work with every single day have adapted to cloud technology. The jump from traditional infrastructure to cloud technology I think is a lot smaller than the jump from what we have now to decentralization. It's a complete rethink of the way everything works. It's not a close cousin or a, a logical upgrade. It's it's a whole different way of thinking and so it, it's not if they adapt, it's um, when they adapt because they will have to otherwise they'll become less and less applicable or new standards will have to be written. There's plenty of ways to do it but it'll have to be done is the point. Um, To answer your second question, I do use decentralized platforms for various things. The one I use the most um, is called Matrix. And what I mean by Matrix, I'm actually referencing a protocol. Matrix is an end-to-end chat voice platform, end-to-end encrypted, that also has federation capability. So if you wanted to, you could stand up your own what's Matrix server or matrix instance in the same way that you can do with Mastodon or Pleroma or, or any other um, platform that is part of what's called the Fediverse, right? <laughs> the universe of federated or federatable platforms and applications. Um, and I use that for chat with a number of my friends because it's, again, decentralized. We, we use a single instance or s- some of my friends actually use their own instances. But what's great about this is that those instances can talk to each other. I don't have to be using the same instance as a friend of mine in order to exchange messages. And it's two federated services in that instance connecting to each other, we hold the keys, touching on the privacy part that you mentioned, the encryption keys are in the hands of only us, and we know that because both the client application software, whatever application you're using to connect to Matrix, because it's again, it's just a protocol, it's like email. You can use any mail client you want to send an email, but it's still email at the bottom. It's still IMAP, SMTP, DoveCot, whatever, right? Um, So, we hold the keys. We know that because the application software is open source, freely open source. The kicker is that we also know the server software is open source. So, what differentiates a federated service like Matrix, any Matrix instance, whatever form it takes, and maybe Signal, the end-to-end encrypted messaging app, that's gotten a lot of press lately, is that Signal still has centralized servers. And that's not inherently a problem, except that it's a degree of uncertainty. And so when you own the keys, you own the encryption, you know that there's no midpoint that's controlled by a third party, then there's more assurance there. And you can see every bit of code, everyone who cares, you know, <laughs> we, hope, we never run out of these people who care enough to dive into the source code, are verifying independently by review of it, that you can guarantee your messages are encrypted and they can't be intercepted and decrypted in the middle. Yep. I mean, how, how hard is it for you to set something like that up? Like,
0: is, it take, is it something that takes a day to set up or is that an hour long job? What does that look like? If someone wants to get
1: into it. It depends on the service. It, I will say it gets easier and easier as days go by. Um, it's well documented. So, uh, another federated service that I I've, I'm working on using is um, actually I forgot the name of it. Um, it's it's a it's a photo sharing app that's meant to mimic Instagram. Um, I've I've been thinking about spinning it up so I could showcase photography, which is a hobby of mine. Uh, but it's entirely federated, and I know that their setup is supposed to only take fifteen to thirty minutes. Uh, all these services typically have companies that will do the hosting for you, they'll do the hard part. But the true spirit of federation is owning the entire instance, so spinning up a virtual private server, installing the software, configuring it, oftentimes this is not very difficult. They're, these platforms are being engineered to be accessible. There's no, uh, you know, gatekeeping for technical people, they're not trying to keep regular users out. If anything, they're trying to bring this to regular users as fast as possible. You don't need, they, The idea is for you to not be technical you don't have to be technical to take advantage of decentralization
0: yeah i know there's like a trend of uh individuals that you know want to get off the big social media platforms but don't want to be disconnected from their peers or their family so there's opportunities to kind of stand up these uh, more decentralized platforms that you can control the one that comes to mind for me is mastodon because i know about Mm. it But um, the matrix protocol, you said that that's a a protocol, not an application. So Mm -hmm. can you kind of expand on that? Like uh, you can use it on any app or what is that?
1: Sure. So um, email is the best example I have. So you and I, we have email addresses that are at risk360.com, right? Those, our, our email server lives somewhere. We send and receive email through that server but we could send that to any old Gmail address, for example. But Gmail, that lives on a a different server. We don't share a server, right? It's like we don't even, there's no shared entity between that Gmail account and our risk360.com email addresses. But because email and the, the protocols that make up email are universally applied, they can be used in all kinds of ways, we don't have to worry about that. So, Matrix is essentially that for messaging. If you have uh, a smartphone app, for example, Element is a popular one, formerly known as Riot.im, now known as Element. Element can be on my phone, as it is, because again, I use Matrix. I can have that on my phone and I can send that, I can send a message to someone on a separate instance who is using an entirely different app to read their messages and they can get it and they can send me a message back and it doesn't matter if we're using the same instance or not. It doesn't matter if we're using the same application or not. I can send you a Gmail, I can send you an email to your Gmail account from my Outlook account and you'll still get it.
0: So I guess the theory is here is that if this protocol took off, you could build um, apps where the underlying protocol is matrix Mm -hmm. and you could have a cross Cross application communications theoretically. I could have Christian Hyatt app, you could have RISC 360, you could have RISC 360 app, you could have Ryan Mazden app, and we could all communicate with each other securely if the underlying protocol is matrix. And I think you said the, the thing there is, uh, I guess it puts the uh, cryptography under the control of the individual. Is that the power of that technology?
1: Yeah, you have. The encryption is still handled by the the protocol and in a, in a sense the application itself to to different degrees, but because the source code, every bit of operation that that platform or that protocol is undertaking can be viewed and audited. So in that sense, maybe the encryption isn't being handled on your phone. In, in some cases it is, but you have complete visibility into the process. Therefore, you have influence over it. You have, if if you have complete clarity over it, then that's more than what you have with a centralized service. So you
0: talked about matrix kind of for communi- communication protocols. Are, are there other like emerging technologies that you find interesting from a decentralization perspective that you know
1: others might find interesting as well? There are, um, and I'll use another messaging app as an example. Um, there's a pretty niche application right now that as far as I know only re- exists on Android. I could be wrong about that, don't quote me there, but it's called Briar and this is this is where I diverge and talk about the different kinds of decentralization. So there's federated decentralization which is the one we've been talking about mostly where you can stand up your own instance and it can talk to other instances. There's also completely peer-to-peer. So there is no centralized server, there is no um, really instance in the middle there is just you and me and whatever is linking us. So in this case, Briar is a, a small time in, in rapid development application that uses the Tor network to encrypt and send messages from one endpoint to another. And it's entirely peer to peer. In fact, one of the things that's been used for heavily is um, in other parts of the world under um authoritarian regimes to communicate locally because you can do it over Bluetooth. You you, you just need to be next to somebody and you're able to communicate through Briar. It's it's allowed for communication within vicinity um, across all kinds of networks, bypassing censorship, bypassing blocks and because there's nothing in the middle in the same way that like the Tor network, the way the Tor network operates There are just a bunch of other endpoints in the middle, there's no centralized server. The message is still delivered, the communication is still happening, but there's nothing in the middle. That's entirely peer-to-peer. So that's one particular platform that I'm very excited about. Um, I I check on it probably more than I'm willing to admit, just because I like to see where it's going. As like a ethical hacker,
0: pen tester, security researcher, are there any like clear holes and decentralized technology that like if a company were to switch to that for messaging or for cloud hosting or anything else that stick out to you, or is it largely this a similar security and threat environment as you know a traditional centralized system?
1: Um, I don't think it's similar. I think I think a lot of where it sits, you have to look at this in layers, right? So. Um, a vulnerability in, to use my example from, of matrix from earlier, a vulnerability in the element application is not a vulnerability in matrix, right? A vulnerability in a particular matrix instance is not a vulnerability in another instance. So, because this is, it's, it's comprised of several different component parts, it's hard to say. What I will say is that decentralization is meant to remove single points of failure, which is, is a common problem when when assessing security, especially on traditional networks. there's uh, On an active directory network, there's the central point of control, the domain controller or domain controllers. If there's a problem with that, there's a problem with everything. Yeah, do you think these, these so I guess the balance if I'm an
0: organization is a corporate control. Like, I know that if uh, I have an AD active directory network and I have traditional file storage and monitoring tools. I can basically govern my employees. I think some of the fear stems from if like, let's say I set up a, a P2P network internally, maybe I lose some of that control and decentralization or uh, centralization that you want as a governance structure. Do you, do you think there's a balance there for an organization? Are there legitimate use cases for de- decentralization
1: if I'm a business? I think there is. I think the inherent security that comes with it, um, is obviously an added benefit. I think that... I'm not a complete decentralization anarchist, uh, perhaps much to the, the dismay of people who <laughs> might listen to this. Um, I see the use case for Federation. I think Federation really hits that sweet spot for for businesses who maybe can't just relinquish control because having a business full of people using computers and phones is is a big job. It's a big job, it's hard to manage, it's hard to keep secure, you have to put staff people on it. Um, So there's a a degree of relinquishing control in the same way that we've seen with um, maybe moving from in-house applications that have been popular in the past couple decades to using SaaS products. So, you know, we use use Asana internally, right? Um, Instead of having an in-house app to do task and project management, We trust our task and project management to a SaaS company. I think that it will be be a similar shift in that maybe there is some relinquishment of control. In that um, maybe you can't necessarily determine the applications that people are using. If you're let's say you stand up a matrix instance to replace Slack or Teams or whatever you're using, then maybe you don't have control over the platform, but if you're using one of those other offerings, did you ever also because it's a SaaS product. So achieving the secure by design benefit, incorporating that into your, your business technology stack um, doesn't necessarily mean relinquishing control.
0: Fair enough. I'm going to shift gears a little bit and uh, if you don't mind disclosing to us some stuff uh, I'm curious about, so privacy is obviously, or maybe not obviously, but it is something that I think a lot about, mm-hmm. my individual privacy. Um, I don't have a Facebook account, uh, I have a LinkedIn, I have a Twitter, I feel like that's pretty curated content that I can control. Uh, I don't live on those platforms uh, outside of some push updates. dates. Um, I am concerned about, for example, Google and YouTube tracking me. I'm concerned about Amazon and Alexa. My daughter had a seventh birthday recently, and uh, somehow Amazon is recommending me uh, seven-year-old birthday balloons, which is a little creepy. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm, th- I'm worried about my health fitness apps tracking me. Uh-huh. I'm worried about, um, you know, the power that Amazon and AWS has because I'm heavily embedded in AWS and, and Amazon services. Um, I think a lot about these things, and I think the public Consciousness is also shifting as such where others are thinking about this too Whereas if you asked five years ago my mom didn't care about you know the free app on her phone that was tracking her mm-hmm. um, But today I think she thinks about that early She is aware enough about it to ask me about hey, is this a good app or a bad app? So that's a cool shift in public consciousness and with the politics recently we talked about parlor being removed and uh, People are all over Facebook like what kind of ads are they being served? getting beat up plenty. Um, where I'm going with this is there's probably some practical things that one can do to like, uh, you know, without being overly disruptive in their life, they can voice their privacy. Mm. And I know that this is something that you're conscious about and you think a lot about. So could you talk about like, if you're advising, you know, the average Joe on the street, what are some steps that someone can take one, maybe just to, to get a little more privacy back in their life in terms of phone usage, apps, email, and then also are there opportunities for decentralization there that people should consider? Um, But decentralization being the second priority, I really just want some of your tips on like leading a more private lifestyle online.
1: Sure, so this is a rabbit hole um, because something as simple as having an application on your phone which for a lot of people is the only way they access that platform. Something as simple as that can be a huge threat to privacy. One of the things we saw with TikTok recently was that um, the application itself had access to your entire system clipboard. So even if you were opening your banking app and maybe you were setting up your banking app with uh, a direct deposit because you just got a new job, right? You were sending over your bank information your routing number and your accounting number you copy and pasted that from your banking app into wherever you had to put that in TikTok had access to that information because it was on your clipboard so TikTok just by nature of being on the phone had access to that information for a lot of people they copy and paste passwords I'm sure there are much more sensitive things that are copy and pasted if you were to- Text messages, yeah, a lot of private communications, right? Right, if you were yeah. to sample the entire right. world, I'm, sure, entire it world, I'm sure it gets yeah. worse than that.
0: Yeah, I don't that. want my private text messages to my wife on our anniversary <laughs> that I'm copying and pasting going through <laughs> right. Neither do to I. To be funny, yeah. <laughs> so, it's not hard so, to imagine why that wouldn't be great. Right,
1: but... and it, it, it's funny because on the surface, a lot of people will say, well, I don't really have anything to hide. But I, I love the Gren, Glenn Greenwaldism where he says, okay, well, if you have nothing to hide, then when you get home, email me all the passwords to your email accounts and your social media accounts and, oh, if you have an iCloud account, I'd love to look at your photos. And then so, people start to get really uncomfortable with that and they're like, mm, I don't want to do that. And yeah, it's I like, wanted. well, okay, maybe you do have something to hide. You just don't realize it yet. Um, so. There are answers and there are not. TikTok was only revealed because somebody looked. So um, if, if no one had looked into it, we wouldn't know that TikTok was potentially, again, we don't know this, but potentially harvesting information from people's copy paste clipboards on their phones. Um,
0: so walk me through your like tech stack because I'm thinking <laughs> like a uh, platform by platform. Like, do you have a smartphone? I do. I do. Okay, so smartphone, uh, iPhone, uh, Android, don't care which one. Obviously, there's tons of leakage going on for most users uh, native to the operating system or the apps that you install. So is there like a set of hardening procedures that you do when you get a new phone?
1: There are. So first off, um, I use Android, but I do not use a version of Android that is shipped by a manufacturer or... By even Google, really, in, in a sense. So when you buy a Samsung phone, there is a version of Android on that phone that has been tweaked, configured, added to, removed from, by Samsung to make it unique to a Samsung phone. Otherwise, why buy Samsung over HTC or uh, a Google Pixel even? Um, and what I mean by it not being maintained by Google is I have stock Android on my phone, specifically a version called Graphene OS, um, which is a version of Android because, again, Android as a project is open source completely. Um, the version of Android you might get on a phone is <laughs> not necessarily, but Graphene is. And Graphene is an implementation or a, a, a version of the open source Android project that specifically focuses on privacy so i have this on my phone um it was easy to add uh, that you can look up guides to it it's not terribly difficult it just takes a little bit of time but what it allows me to so, do so ryan allows, based in buys a phone step one is uninstall native get rid operating of it. system <laughs> get rid <of> it.
0: reinstall <laughs> graphene os because that's when you feel comfortable in all right so you have the new operating system mm-hmm. installed What's next? What apps are you downloading? What apps are you not
1: downloading? How are you communicating with people? Sure. So, as far as Graphene goes, and this is true for all Android, you can, you can even install F-Droid, the open source app repository, on a regular old Android phone. You don't have to have something special like Graphene or uh, Calyx OS is another one, but F-Droid works really well with open source privacy focused. Distributions of Android. I'll call them distributions using the Linux terminology um, because all of the apps on the F Droid store are open source themselves. So, okay, so F Droid is an alternative to the uh, Google App yep. Store. Is yep. that right? Okay, yep. got it. So, I, I'll even show you here. So, my Android phone. Looks like any other old Android phone. There's nothing, uh, it's not a bunch of green text on, on a black screen, right? I'm not. Right. I'm disappointed, I'm but okay. <laughs> I can, look, I, I can make it that way for you if you want. Um, it's, it's usable. It's, it's friendly. It looks nice. You know, it has that Google Metro theme, but the apps that I use are all open source. And people think, oh, well, that's, does that mean that I have to know how to code? Absolutely not. That, that, that would defeat the entire purpose. I have a mail app that I have all my email accounts on. I can read my email, I can respond to emails. I have a calendar app. I have matrix or element installed so that I can message people using the matrix instance that I use. Um, I can make calls, I can send text messages. I can do all of that stuff without sacrificing any usability. Now, I can't install apps from the App Store which rules some things out. So Facebook has not open sourced their app. Twitter has not open sourced their app. A lot of the platforms that are used are only usable via the app store. So there are some sacrifices that have to be made, but it's for the better, right? We're talking about decentralization. We're talking about taking your privacy back, taking hold of digital freedom that you didn't otherwise have. It requires a little bit of sacrifice, but it is attainable. I would
0: argue that sometimes that's a pro. Like, give me a great excuse not to have Facebook and and Twitter on my phone. That's great. Um, and often you can access those if you really need to through a web browser yeah. temporarily. Yeah. So that that's always an option. So get a phone, uninstall the OS, install Graphene,
1: put a little painter's the tape app store uh,
0: front facing camera. The <laughs> camera. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Remove ability for phone to the spy on you via mm-hmm. video. Um, And then FDroid has, is it exclusively open source on on that app
1: store? Yes. So there will be from time to time an app that maybe uses a third-party location service um, or another miscellaneous service that is not entirely privacy friendly. But uh, again, they they have a a level of privacy. I don't want to call it anti-freedom but they have, they have certain features that they're willing to admit to the F-Droid store for functionality's sake. So for example, there are um, some applications on the F-Droid store that will act, you mentioned fitness trackers, right? They will use your GPS and, and track your position but that's because you're going on a run and you want to know what your splits were, right? So you, you have to track that somehow. There, there's no ethereal, open source, decentralized way to do that. Sometimes an app just has to use the GPS.
0: Yes. Well, that's like a privacy principle. Like you only access the data you need to serve that, perform that service. Right. So it makes sense right. from a fitness app perspective. I want to know what my splits are. So I'm clearly want you to have my GPS data. Um, so this might be intuitive to some, it might not be, but the app store you mentioned is open source. Why, why do you care? Like why does it matter that it's open source? What are the advantages of that from a privacy or security perspective?
1: I want to know that the email application I use is not sending the contents of my emails that I send to some company that can be looked at by anyone. I I want to know that when I take a photo of, you know, something funny that I see and I send it to my wife, that it's not being sent to Google and fed through an AI engine so that the AI can learn to recognize whatever I was in my picture. Um, there's, there's a degree of, of certainty and privacy that allows people to be who they really are. People are not their true selves when they're being watched. This has been demonstrated time and time again through study after study. Um, George Orwell understood it really well with the idea of the panopticon, right? It's like someone sits at the top, it's so high up that you can't see who's in there. In fact, you don't even know if you're being watched at the time, but you could be. And if you think you are, you'll act like you are. And so when you don't know who's looking at what you're sending, looking at receiving in an application that's on your phone, you may act as if they are and there's there's a sense of there's a lack of freedom that comes with that yeah it's kind of funny it reminds me of that science experiment i can't remember the, it's like the
0: split uh, experiment where uh the laws of physics change mm-hmm. under observation mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like maybe the universe is trying to tell yeah, us something with right. that yeah. but um okay so got it you got open source i mean open source is generally peer-reviewed mm-hmm. uh anyone can look to see if an app's good or bad, um, hypothetically, as open. It's for mm-hmm. peer review. Now, if someone's kind of edging into this uh, this lifestyle, I'll say, like trying to be more privacy conscious, they're using uh, less traditional app stores and, and operating systems. You know, I always worry about, like, if I'm te- going to tell my mom to do this, like, I also there's also things I don't want you to do. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe they're, I don't want you installing an, uh, an operating system that's sketchy and I kind of know how to identify that, but maybe she doesn't. So she might not know the difference between, you know, uh, this, you know, virus infected operating system versus graphene, which is a totally legitimate Mm -hmm. one. So for others kind of pursuing this path and thinking about giving it a shot, are there some tips along the way that you might recommend just for, um, you know, a a good path that's safe, not taking on too much risk, well-vetted apps, versus, you know, I might install something on my phone that's actually worse than, you know, mm-hmm. the the one everyone uses this known spy. Any tips you
1: have there? Sure. So, the we're lucky because these things have huge communities around them. And if you look hard enough, you will find that there are whether they are decentralization platforms or smartphone operating systems or even just regular old apps, there are people who Use and talk about their successes and failures with them. So, um, you know, if a, I don't want to just say that this is a, a guarantee, but the more people who are looking at something like Graphene OS, the better assurance you can have that it is secure, it's been looked at, people are constantly looking at it. Um,
0: so, so, you're generally looking uh, for something with a, a sizable community mm-hmm. around
1: it. So, it has a,
0: a good peer review system, basically. Yep. Anything to avoid? Are there specific sites like uh, would you recommend that someone go download load Tor or <laughs> you know, are, are there like specific things that you would uh, recommend people not
1: pursue? You know, um, download Tor if it's from the Tor project. <laughs> if, you, if you're going to download Tor, download it from the Tor project. Um, they have a repo on F-Droid, So if it's on FDroid, um, you can probably trust it. I don't want to give a guarantee there, but probably. Um,
0: That's a good question. They can, if good it, question. It, it's like free downloads.com. Well, yeah. Lots of spam. <laughs> well, on yeah. It, yeah. Don't download more so, uh, RAM don't... on your
1: phone. <laughs> don't, don't, you can't download RAM, right? Um, general rules of thumb, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Probably. Um, yeah, so all the comments yeah. and stuff. Yeah, if it's if it's fed to you in an ad, like you found out about it because of an advertisement, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to land too hard on that one because there are some great platforms that are actually running ads now. Um, I love the if it sounds too good to be true it probably <laughs> is because
0: that's like rule of thumb um, but I mean just to kind of recap because some of this is brand new information to me I think the graphene OS sounds great it's very well reviewed mm-hmm. tested by you mm-hmm. <laughs> who I trust um, you got the Droid app store sounds like that's generally a good yep. place to, to grab stuff yep. from so it's a good first start and then if I'm downloading apps or technologies that I'm unfamiliar with Um, Look for a sizable community, Mm -hmm. Um, a good ecosystem of peer review, and if I stick to those three, I'm probably pretty good as a place to start. Yeah, one of the nice things about FDroid repos,
1: just as a small note, is that you can view the source code directly from the app page. And again, you don't have to be a developer, but GitHub, which is where most of these applications exist, have a great system called the Star System. So if you are downloading an app, and you go click the link to view the source code and it takes you to GitHub page and it has thousands of stars. Clearly, thousands of people like it. Now, can thousands of people be wrong? Absolutely. But um, you have a better chance of succeeding with that one than maybe something that has zero stars, has not been looked at by anybody. This is all available at your fingertips, literally, if you want to.
0: Yeah, awesome. So, last thing I do want to talk about, so thanks.
1: I'm, I'll take some of these
0: recommendations into consideration on my own phone. Um, is you have a cool project that I want to talk a little bit about. And I know you've uh, been working on it on and off for a while uh, the Kraken mm. project, or how, whatever you want to call it, um, which is a, a project that you have, I guess, contributed back to the pen test community to try to provide some tool sets. So, can you talk a little bit about that and then uh, where can we
1: find it? Sure. So, um, the way this started, as, as a pen tester, one of the things I found myself doing a lot was cracking passwords. And thankfully, to the benefit of everybody, passwords have gotten progressively harder and harder to crack over time. The amount of computing power and time and energy required to do it is increasing, which is good for everybody. But Um, In order to succeed as a pen tester, (laughs) I need to be able to crack passwords. So what we found ourselves doing was pricing out these huge password cracking rigs, You know, linking up 20, 30 GPUs, graphic cards together and thinking, okay, should we spend $20,000 on this or can we get away with $15,000? And that was just not viable. It wasn't viable. It was too much to set up. It was going to be too much upkeep. And then we realized that um, cloud services exist <laughs> and cloud services are not only insanely cheap for small periods of time but they allow access to some of the most powerful hardware available in the world at the moment so we thought well we should just start using these cloud services and that's exactly what we started doing we started spinning up a server that had a bunch of GPUs attached to it so we had a massive amount of password cracking power we would try and crack passwords when we were done or we didn't get any results, we would spin the server down and we could do the whole thing in 30 minutes to an hour and only end up paying maybe 20 or $30 to crack some passwords instead of $15 or thousand or $20,000, right? Um, so the problem with that was it was taking some time and we had to wait for the server to spin up. We had to go into the AWS console because that's where we built it first and it was just cumbersome. and. And so what my friend Stefan Becker and I wanted to do was following the true hacker mentality, in fact, even a bit of the regular old Unix philosophy, because we're geeks, we wanted to be able to do everything from the command line. So we wanted to be able to spin up a server, crack a password, and get the result all from the command line. So that's what we built. And we were able to write a set of scripts and effectively kind of an API call that would feed our password hashes, our uncracked passwords to a server, spin it up. As soon as it was finished, it would shut itself down. And we ended up being able to do what we did in about an hour in about six or seven minutes beforehand. So we would would get access to these hugely powerful password cracking rigs for cents on the dollar. And we would have just as much success, if not more success than people who are using these giant rigs. And it was all open source. And we built it so that it could be deployed by anybody. Anybody could take this script and with some AWS keys could could do it themselves and, you know, unintentionally <laughs> ruin the GPU rig market. <laughs>
0: so if someone wants to get a hold of this, you know, your, your fellow ethical hackers and pen, tests, um, pen testers, where, where could they go to get that? Is it in GitHub?
1: It is in GitHub. Um, it is technically a private repo right now, but it could be easily made public. Um, I don't know how you'd want to do it, but it would it would exist on my GitHub first. So if we wanted to share that some way, we could.
0: So look for RISC 360 labs or Renegade Labs on GitHub and uh, we'll get Ryan to publish some stuff uh, that he's creating, awesome. Great man, this is an awesome conversation. I'm looking forward to uh, you know the new decentralized internet and seeing all the technology that comes out. Um, Thanks for sharing some information about how to be more private and uh, secure the phone, and we'll check out your uh, GitHub project. Happy to do it. Thanks, thanks, Mr. Bazin. Great conversation. Talk soon.